0: Today's reading is from Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 17 and that's on page 1008 in the church bibles. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright, for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears.
1: Thank you very much, Pat. If you have your Bibles open at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and this is uh, an extraordinary passage, so we need to pray. Let me do that. Our loving Heavenly Father, there are lots of people here or listening who are in need of endurance, in need of help and strength to keep going in the Christian life. All of us, at times in our lives, will feel that need acutely. And our privilege as a church family is to help those in our family who are in need at any particular time, lovingly caring for one another through prayer, the ministry of the Word, and in different practical ways. Our Father, what you have to say to us through your Word is so very precious, proved time and again, day by day, year by year. It is light and love, comfort and hope and joy, rebuke, exhortation, everything we need for life and godliness. And before us today is a wonderful word that no human author without divine inspiration and intent could write. Words that speak into the most sensitive and vexing situations in our lives in a beautiful and transforming way. We pray that you would help me teach it rightly. But also, will you help us all to listen? and receive your word. Help us to trust your word and humbly obey what you say. Give to those who are in need of endurance all the help and strength they need, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, the Bible, the Word of God, is real and truthful in what it says about the Christian life. A number of you here are not yet Christians. We're delighted you're here to listen to what it means to be a Christian. And one of the things I want to encourage you to think on is uh, how the Bible describes life. I warrant that it's honest and real and truthful. And today we are in the realm of difficult times in our lives as Christians. Let me just read some of the phrases from the passage. Chapter 12, verse 1, for example, let us run with endurance. There's no sprint. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 3, consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 12, 4, in your struggle. 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. And then this wonderful text in verse 12, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, it's different preaching to this congregation from the first, because many of you are young. You might not have experienced drooping hands and weak knees. Some of you have... One or two of our older folks here are saying, just you wait. But you will. Physically and, of course, the spiritual. Just listen to these words, the realistic words. Endurance, weary, faint-hearted, struggle, drooping hands, weak knees. The Christian life is often hard. Life is hard. The Christian life is often hard, not a sprint. It is a long-distance endurance race. It is often against the wind, uphill, over obstacles, and against setbacks. That's a bit like cycling around Edinburgh. We should add holes in the road. Often against the wind, uphill, over obstacles, Now, there are many joys for sure, times when the wind is at our back, or times when we're on a gentle downslope, freewheeling. Uh, And there are times when the clouds break, but oftentimes the race is hard. Now, speaking to a runner this week, just to warn you that if you have a conversation with whoever is preaching uh, during the week, Uh, Especially in the days immediately before the Sunday, there is a very real possibility, probability, perhaps certainty, that it will appear in a sermon. So the runner this week, didn't know I was trying to get some info from him, told me that the race is run in the head just as much as it is run in the legs. I think that's true, especially a long-distance endurance race. And uh, I confirmed it with uh, one of the other athletes in church this morning who ran the Edinburgh Marathon last year. And uh, he and I were recalling the time that he hit the wall at 22 miles or whatever it is. And he said, it's true. And I said, what got you through that? And he said, what I knew. I've been there before. I can get through it. I've trained. I know I can get through it. And so it is with a Christian uh, life. And it's striking that the instruction in this passage about how to endure in difficult times is not like kind of kind of tough it out or graft through it or, or just get through the pain barrier. It's, it's what you know in your head. And the way that the Bible works is it engages our heads, then our hearts, then our legs. So what you know in your head. So there's real truth to take from this passage about running the race in the Christian life. The Bible is honest and realistic. And in the realm of when it talks about tough times in our lives as Christians, the Bible is not only gracious in pointing us to how we should react and respond to that, but it's very gracious in guarding us and protecting us and helping us about responding in the wrong ways to it. So, for example, when difficulties, hardships beset us in the Christian life, we can be tempted to think that God doesn't care or that God is punishing us. Now, that's true, and many of you, perhaps all of you, could come up here and say, who's not been there, really, in our lives as Christians. I think oftentimes it's not that we kind of emphatically say to God, you don't love me or you don't care or you're punishing me. I wonder if the norm when we are vexed is just silence or neutrality with God. We just kind of shut down in our relationship with him. And know that he promises that he is in control, but we do not feel it. And we do not walk in his spirit as we know we should. Now, God graciously through his word does not leave us floundering or drowning in the storm, lashed by wave upon wave. He comes to us through his word and his spirit and takes hold of us so that we can lift our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees, and make straight paths for our feet. Now, uh, have a look at the uh, outline. Uh, I included as part of the reading verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12. Roger preached on these so helpfully last week. Uh, I've listened to it two and a half times, uh, just to point out not because it was unclear the first time, but you just benefit from listening again and again. Um, I'd encourage you to do that with any sermons you miss, and technology uh, is our aid uh, to that. Now, if you look at the the printout, you'll see that I've uh, set it out in three points. The opening section, verses 1 to 3, the central bit, where we'll spend most of our time, 4 through 11, and the closing section, 12 to 17. Two bookends and a bit in the middle, and the, the point is that when we get into the bit in the middle where we'll spend most of our time, What I want to encourage you to do this afternoon or when you go back to this is have an eye to the bookends. Look back, look forward, look at the two sides because you look up to the first bookend and you are going to be encouraged to consider Jesus. It's always a a good thing to have in our minds and at the back end, um, what we are to do in light of what God is already doing. Um, And uh, both the bookends are connected uh, in this image of racing or running. So you'll see verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and sin and let us run with endurance the race. And verse 12, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. And uh, just to extend the uh, marathon imagery, we have used a lot of running. They may mean nothing to you at all. Um, but th- verse 1 is, is quite exhortational, isn't it? Is, is run the race with endurance. But when you get a verse 12, That's about at 22 miles in the marathon when you've hit the wall and you think, I cannot go on. And the text resonates with that experience and it says, come on, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and keep going. That's really the tenor of it. And off the back of our reflection on difficult times in our lives, God's word is, gracious to us, I mean, it doesn't say, come on, sort yourself out. It says, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and keep going. Okay, right, let me, uh, let me get straight into the central section, but perhaps we should read verses one to three first, just to put the first bookend in view, uh, running with endurance, the race that is set before us, Uh, Let's just read that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's chapter 11, uh, the inspiration of the testimony of Old Testament believers, let us also, like them, lay aside every weight. Uh, Weight is is not sin, it's just stuff that weighs us down, uh, things out of proportion, priorities, wrong ones. Let us lay aside every weight and sin, that straight disobedience of God, which clings so closely. That's a wonderful phrase. Sin that clings so closely. We love it. And it loves us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder or author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, Endure the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, let's get into the central bit. In the hard times of struggle, God is at work changing you. And, what I initially did in producing the outline was changed all the pronouns so they all said us, us, us. But the text in Hebrews moves between us and you and me. and So I think let's leave them as they are and trust that in God's hands, his word by his spirit does mean you and me. And us, when it says it does. Now, in the hard times of struggle, God is at work changing you. So, verses 4 to 11, we are in the realm of struggle. Tough times, tough circumstances in the Christian life, times in the race that are really hard. Now, verse 4, which starts the section, is key. Just to see what it says with me, look at it. In your struggle, against sin. Now, immediately, therefore, when this text is talking about hard times in our lives as Christians, it's not talking about every example of that. It's talking about hard times in the realm of our struggle against sin. Now, what is meant by our struggle against sin? two things, and you'll see them set out on the sheet. First, the struggle against the sinful hostility we face because we are Christians. In other words, the sin is the sinful hostility directed against us. But secondly, when the writer speaks about in your struggle against sin, he is also talking about just the struggle that we have with our own sin. Both are in view, and we'll look at each in turn. First, in your struggle against sinful hostility, consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, what might the hostility be? Well, Hebrews has touched on this many times, and This kind of hostility is deeply discouraging. It is difficult, and it really does push us and press us to stop running. So hostility, to varying degrees, perhaps from family or friends, because you are a Christian. Or at school or uni or work, simply being known as a Christian can mean you are on the receiving end of hostility. Maybe that's too strong a word. Or because you have done something or not done something. Hostility might just be criticism, being made fun of. Now, that might not be difficult for uh, some of us. But when you are uh, 16 or 17 or younger at school, it's really difficult. Hostility that works out in that people think you are bigoted or intolerant or narrow-minded. You may not say that, but you know they think it. Or the hostility of being excluded, left out, looked over for a job or losing a job. And hostility, because of the Christian work or ministry, you are engaged in now, varying degrees of intensity. The Christians to whom this letter was written, uh, some had lost their possessions, their liberty, even facing the loss of their lives. Now, what persuades us that the sin being referred to uh, at the start of verse 4 is the hostility directed against us because we are Christians is the context. In other words, When you face in the Bible a question, what does this mean? The first thing you need to do is look at what the Bible says it means. Now, the text of the letter persuades us that this is indeed what's in the author's mind. So read with me from verse 3 into verse 4. So verse 3 says, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, reading on to verse 4, in your struggle against such sinful Hostility. And uh, moreover, the second half of verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, ties verse 4 back to verse 3. Uh, the hostility Jesus endured led to the shedding of his blood and his death. Now, what do we make of the statement, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? Now, a number of uh, uh, stuff I've listened to or read is saying that the point that's being made is one of perspective or comparison, that compared to what Jesus faced, the hostility we face is much less. Now, as a pastor, I'm not really persuaded by that because I'm not sure that God works in that way and says to us, look, I know you're having a tough time, but kind of get get your act together because Jesus had a tougher one. I just don't think that's how the Bible works or speaks to us. Now, I don't think it's a perspective or comparison comment for three reasons. In the first place, because the text says you have not yet. In other words, that shedding of blood may come. Second, we've seen from the testimonies of Old Testament believers in chapter 11 that a number died for their faith. And third, there are countless examples of people giving their lives for Jesus in the early church and in the history of the church since. So, what is the point being made? And, And just whatever the realm of hostility you have or are or might experience because you are a Christian. What is the point of this kind of phrase that sounds like a a comparison with Jesus or a perspective? I think the point being made is that we need to, in the first place, look to Jesus. Verses 2 and 3, "...who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God." consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So when you face hostility, the temptation to throw in the towel or to go silent in your witness, don't try and gather strength from within yourself. Don't say, Jesus had more, therefore I should be better. Think in your head, Jesus went through it, came out the other side. I trust him, he lives in me by his spirit. I will come through it, in him and through him, and come out the other side. And that's why when the Bible engages our head with that truth, That truth in our head hits our hearts, our wills, and translates into what we say and what we do. Now, Old Testament believers lived and some gave their lives by faith in the promises of God. As Christians, we can look to Jesus, the founder perfecter, who went through hostility and the cross for us and came out and gives us his strength. And the point is that whatever the hostility and opposition we face, we are able to endure because Jesus endured. He has gone before us, and his Spirit is imparted into us, giving us supernatural power to endure. Now, just let me pause so that that doesn't remain a kind of discussion point let me promise you because god's word promises us that this is true as you think on jesus as you remember that he has imparted into you his spirit As you remember in Hebrews that He is there in heaven as your high priest, praying for you, you will not throw in the towel. You will keep on witnessing and endure and run the race against this hostility. If you try to beat yourself up and say you should be better, Or if you try to do it in your own strength, you will fail. Of course we'll fail. Now, let me just summarize Hebrews at this point. Uh, I came across this uh, wonderful uh, summary of Hebrews this week. The journey of Jesus from heaven to earth, to the cross to death, to resurrection to life, to the glory of heaven, seated at the right hand of God, our high priest interceding for us, imparting his righteousness to us and his holy spirit into us means everything for life isn't that great quote isn't it wish i could come up with stuff like that i bet this person copied it from somebody else now let me land the plane with this first point are you struggling right now against sinful hostility opposition because you are a christian in your family friends work uni, wherever it is and um, Are you struggling because you're standing up for Jesus and facing flack? Is there someone in the church family you know who is facing that? Do you know of a Christian in a part of the world maybe facing the loss of their possessions, the loss of their liberty, and for some, the loss of their lives? What should you pray for them? What would you write to them? Get a copy of Open Doors and write to them. Write to them. What would you write? What would you write? Sort yourself out. Look at Jesus. Your struggles are pretty small. Consider him. who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, the intercessor, is our all in all. Rest in him. Trust him. Consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is not sentimentality. It is truth. It is true. I've seen it happen again and again and again. Take it to your heart and pray it into the hearts of those you know who are facing such hostility. Now, let's turn to uh, the second uh, application, and you'll see there my um, short and sharp and snappy title. Uh, In your struggle with sin in your life, see and accept the loving discipline of your heavenly Father as for your good, nurturing holiness, and the food of righteousness in your life as a child. Now I think the the text is not simply focusing on uh, our struggle with sinful hostility against us. I think the text is also focusing on the struggle with sin in our own lives. And the struggle with sin in our own lives is 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 Are the hard yards in the race, sometimes so much so that it's like hitting the wall, it's like a weight. Now, how can we be sure that the author intends us to see that he is talking about the sin in our life, the struggle with sin in our own lives? I think we know that from uh, verse uh, 1 of Hebrews 12. Um, just uh, you'll see there the second half of the verse, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. That's uh, our sin, our disobedience. So that's very much in the frame. And also from chapter 12, uh, verses 12 to 17, um, you'll see a a whole list of uh, sins uh, there that are speaking about the sin in our own uh, lives. So, Sins like disunity, or sins like uh, bitterness, or sins like uh, sexual uh, immorality. So I think the text is speaking about sin in our lives. Now, what particular sins does the author have in mind that uh, weigh us down and hinder us in the Christian life and again, it's not every sin. Just uh, look with me at verses 12 through 17. Let's read them again. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. So what's the sin behind that? Disharmony, disunity and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness bitterness, springs up and causes trouble and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. So I think guided by the focus in Hebrews verses 12 to 17, the particular sins that the author has in mind relate to disunity, bitterness, and sexual immorality. Now, let me just pause at that point again and just say to us as a church, if there are issues going on that relate to disunity, disharmony between people in the church, there is no doubt that that hinders us running the race. There is no doubt about that. If there are issues going on of bitterness or resentment or divisive talk, there is no doubt that that hinders us running the race. And if there are issues of sexual immorality and stuff that we know is wrong and stuff that God is speaking to us about, that hinders us, it hinders us, it hinders others, and needs to be attended to. Now, these are the sins in view, and we struggle with them. Now the overarching, uh, the overarching principle in verses four to eleven, is the discipline of God. What is the discipline of God? It is not punishment. God cannot punish us for our sinfulness, because Christ has borne the punishment for our sinfulness. So do not allow yourself ever to deny the central core of the gospel when you think about God's uh, discipline. We are fully forgiven past, present, and future sins. God's discipline is not punishment, rather it is training in righteousness that we might become holy and godly and thereby run the race unfettered, unencumbered, and help others to run the race and be fruitful on the race in this life. Now, when God exerts discipline over us, what is it like? What does it mean that our loving Father disciplines us? Here are are practically, I think, what this looks like or feels like. Firstly, the conviction of God's Word, that we know God's Word is speaking to us. We know that the pronoun you in the text that Sunday is me, We hear God speaking to us. God is convicting us. That's discipline. He's telling us what we perhaps do not want to hear but need to hear. Discipline can also be suffering in our lives. Let me give you uh, an example of that that has always uh, stayed with me. A Christian who could not sleep at night and spent the hours of sleeplessness engaging in what is sexual immorality, and you can work out in your head what that would be. And sleep eluded them until they stopped engaging in what was known to them to be wrong, and that night sleep returned and has never left them. Now, you cannot say, and I'm not saying that sleeplessness means there is sin. And you cannot say that someone laid aside physically is because there is sin. But you cannot emphatically say It is not. It needs wisdom. It needs care. It needs perspective. But God may allow us to experience physical suffering because he wants us to deal with issues in our life that prevent us running the race or prevent others running. His discipline can be a lack of fruitfulness or usefulness. Why is it that the ministries I engage in just don't seem to have any fruit? Again, that's not a definitive principle. There are many prominent Christian leaders whose ministries have been very fruitful, and all of a sudden they crash out. God is very capable of drawing a straight line with a blunt pencil, but usually there comes a point where he stops. God's discipline can mean a lack of joy in our lives as Christians. How do we view God's discipline? The text here is clear, and you can read it. It is the loving care of our Father. What is its purpose? What is the purpose of God's discipline? Read verse 10 with me. Verse 10b, it is for our good... That we may share his holiness. For the moment, all disciplines seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline means that we are sanctified, made holy, Christ like, godly in life and in speech, and yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that is what God is trying to fashion in us all of the time. And as we experience the struggle with sin, and as we feel God's discipline upon us, it is only so that we become holy and display the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, I'm well aware as a pastor, and I always preach to myself as well as to anybody else, that the big challenge at the moment will be for some of us, am I really listening? Am I really listening to God? And if we are, or we let God just come into our lives and speak to us, and this we come to conclude in verses 12 to 17, what will be our response? What will we do? Well, we will accept that what God is doing in us is for our good, and we will, as it were, get onto the escalator and stand where God is working in our lives. And that's why the text concludes... With the exhortation and the imperative 12 to 17. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. This is now us, yeah? What God is doing is lifting up our hands. What God is doing is strengthening our weak knees. God is setting before us straight paths for us to walk on, walking in the Spirit. God is welling up with us a desire for peace and reconciliation and holiness, and dealing with bitterness and sexual impurity. And what we are to do is to lift up the hands that are being lifted, to strengthen the wees that are being strengthened, to make straight paths for our feet, and walk on the path that God is putting before us, to strive for the peace and holiness that God is inspiring us to strive for by his Spirit. And then, wonderfully, to look around the church and to look out for those who need this encouragement and see to it that no one fails to obtain this grace from God. Now, please listen and please start walking again. This is not running. This is you emerging from the wall at 22 miles walking. Then jogging, then running. Don't chuck in the towel. And here's the warning the path from weariness to bitterness is but a short step. The path from indifference to sin to immorality is but a short step. And the path from refusal to repent, and we've all resisted the need to repent in our lives. But the continual refusal to repent, month after month, year after year, can lead to the inability to repent. Now, don't let that frighten you. Just put that thought out of your mind and get up and lift your hands and strengthen your knees and start walking and sort stuff out. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to think on these things and to deal with issues in our lives that need dealt with and to do so on the basis and in the knowledge that you are dealing with them through your loving fatherly discipline. Help us to trust you, and it is hard, and we know it is hard, and many of us can give testimony to how hard it is, but we trust you and obey you and want to run the race and want to keep on running the race. Help us to be vigilant to the issues in our own lives, but also vigilant to the issues in the lives of those around us within our church family. And all this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.